0: One. Look at that. Yeah. Episode 386 of eight of the Show. Wow, we got one guy in the UK, two people in LA. And who are you? <laughs> egg-
1: I've never <laughs> seen very
0: question.
2: Well, folks, I'm still trying to figure that out myself. So far, what I know is my name is Ashadiah. I i'm indian by ethnicity i was born in the uk raised in australia i live in los angeles i've been living here since 2009 um i live with my husband and two children two toddlers who wake me up at the butt crack of dawn every day so (laughs) as we're recording this podcast i've been awake for hours and uh, i'm like on coffee um i'm a producer i'm a writer i'm the founder of a blog called girltalkhq.com i make documentaries i I'm a board member of the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. I am the host of the Repro Film film Festival podcast series. So I do a whole bunch of like media content creation things, I guess. That's me in a nutshell.
1: Um, My God, there's a lot of things to process. (laughs) Oh,
2: I forgot. (laughs) I'm also the author of this book called Today's Wonder Women. Yeah. Superheroes who are changing the world. There was a book deal that came about. From my blog, and it features fifty inspiring badass women and girls from around the world who are just doing um, just world changing things. And they're not celebrities, but you should know their names and know their stories. And the idea is to really inspire everyday people, mostly women and girls, but everyone too not just not just women that you know when you read their stories, you think, oh, I can do something really amazing and impactful in my life and in my community too. So yeah, that's the book. It's on Amazon and all good bookstores.
1: And how did you find these uh, 50 women? Like, how did you um, connect with them? How did you interact with them?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so with my blog, Girl Talk HQ, I a lot of some of the interviews started online and then I kind of adapted them, edit, edited them and then found new people to interview. And they're people that have kind of been on my orbit that I've seen them doing really amazing things that I wanted to interview them and when this book deal came about, it was like the perfect opportunity to reach out to them and say, hey, I'm writing this. Would you be interested in being profiled? And most of them said yes. Um, Some said no just for scheduling reasons. But honestly, I've been really lucky with my blog that the people who, most of the people come to me and say, hey, can you feature my client? Or can you interview me? I'm doing this project or I'm writing this book or I started this company. And I think the people who find Girl Talk HQ know that it's a platform about, um, you know, sharing stories about everyday women who are doing really cool, inspiring things, who are breaking barriers, who are blazing trails, you know, breaking glass ceilings in different industries and things Let's like that. So I feel <laughs> like I, most of the people that I really want to interview have come to me. You know, that's just in the book as well as on, uh, ongoing online as well. So. Yeah, I'm just really lucky that these women, you know, found me and I found some of them and they said yes when I asked them.
1: Damn, that's, that must have Speechless, been a bit... I like that. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been a very like crazy trip, you know, just like meeting all these people and like interacting with them, and hearing their their stories. What what story do you feel like you resonated with the most? Like maybe on a personal level, let's say.
2: Yeah. Um I like that question and, and to contextualize a little bit. So when, when I got the book deal, I found out I was pregnant with my second child. Um, and she, I think a few weeks later, I found out that, um, I was going to have a girl. So it felt very serendipitous that I my, my first child was a boy. And then I was, I, ha- I was going to have a girl and then I got this book deal. And so it felt very serendipitous. And so I'm writing this book from the comfort of my bed and my computer and sending emails, you know, while I'm, battling nausea and fatigue and so it's kind of like a weird juxtaposition of doing this creative thing but also like creating human life and feeling like blah um, but it, in terms of the people that I resonated with I think I really connected with the women who were mothers and whose lives and stories were centered on something to do with their motherhood experience because it really shapes you I mean anyone who's a parent will know that you know, ha- having this little person look up to you is, is so all consuming. And you're just like, holy crap. I am in, in control of you, but I'm not. And I-, I, but it's, I'm responsible for creating and shaping your life. And wow, that's a huge responsibility. Um, and especially for mothers too, who have children and give birth to them. It's a very all consuming physical experience as well. Um, there was one woman who I, who I really admired her. She started uh, an organization called Free Mom Hugs and she is a white woman from Oklahoma and she's a white Christian woman and when she was telling me her story she was like I'm typically very conservative but I had a son who came out as gay and all of a sudden it really forced me to really challenge my perspectives that I'd heard in the church that I had been holding on to because of my beliefs and she learned about data how You know, so many LGBTQ youth are abandoned by their families. They don't have this support system. And so she created this organization which started from a viral Facebook post where she just wanted to go out to pride parades and um, farmer's markets and different events in her community to reach out to LGBTQ youth and just say, hey, um, if you don't have a parent that's in your life supporting you, I just want to give you a hug and give you free mom hugs and they now have chapters in every all 50 states in the United States they go to churches and community centers and colleges and really talk about what they do and why it's important for especially people of faith to support you know their their queer children and you know share data around you know high rates of suicide and homelessness and poverty and so I, I just really admire the way that she she you know she still calls herself a christian and she's really steadfast in her faith but she was uh, she allowed herself to be open-minded enough to see the world from her son's perspective and it's just so beautiful what they've been doing and I think there have been times when they've stood in at weddings and get been she's been the mom and their volunteers have been the parents of queer youth who don't have family in their lives you know at their on their special day so it was just really amazing to see how her son had shaped her life and that had become Mm -hmm. story. And so that was that's something really important and really awesome I got to write
0: about that's pretty cool I mean that's a pretty interesting you know story and you know it's what I get from that it's like oh you don't have like the labels you you put on right like whether you're Christian or whether you're you know not or um you can be outside of those boxes and and it might might be best actually for us not to fit in any label but to actually learn from all different things and look through you know all different people's perspectives. So
2: absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um so let's uh segue into, uh you know a hot topic um abortion pretty much um whew.
1: why is everyone so quiet
0: why is everyone so quiet I see what your question you, you're the
1: you're the one who's like just going off with these questions like who are you like abortion like I don't know what's next at this point like <laughs> no,
0: let's
2: do it let's do it I think it's all right. it's a really important topic to talk about
0: well why so my question is, it just it seems to me that um, with the, the queer thing, right, this is going to be, you know, a controversial, but if something is natural, if it happens, it's natural, right? <laughs> it's just like, it's part of the world, you know, it's not unnatural for someone to be a certain way if that's who they are, you know, and with the topic of abortion, um, I'm just, you know, you've done a lot of research about this. I'm curious to know, why is it such a sensitive topic?
2: I love that question um well first my perspective and a lot of people who i follow and learn from leaders in in reproductive rights movements globally don't believe it should be sensitive one because it's very very common um and two because it's sensitive because it's being politicized that's that's the number one reason um you know every religion every every personal faith has different approaches toward abortion there's not one you know even in like Christianity or Islam or Catholicism or Buddhism there isn't just one train of thought about how to approach abortion there's like a general feeling of you know it should be this or should be that but there is so much nuance even in one particular faith that there's no way that any faith leader or any politician could say this is what we should think about abortion and these are the laws because The reality is people's lives are complex, complicated, nuanced. Things happen unexpectedly, and to take away the right of someone to decide what is best for their life and their pregnancy in a really, really vulnerable time is just so egregious to me. And I say this as someone who I was pro-choice before I was pregnant, but having two children, going through that process, of you know, talking to doctors, hospitals, clinics and making decisions at every stage and there's literally a million things that have to happen in your body every week to go right for a pregnancy to come out um, Mm -hmm. as well as it should. And so when one little thing goes wrong, all of a sudden then you have to make these complex and potentially very difficult decisions. And when you come up against laws that say, well, this law says that We you you should wait 72 hours to decide whether you should have an abortion because we don't think you've thought about it enough. And there are very condescending laws like that, especially here in the US. It just it it makes me realize that this this shouldn't be a political issue. It can be religious for people individually, if that's the way you want to approach it in your life and your pregnancy. But there's no way one law or one directive can never fully encompass all the things that could potentially go wrong and that has to happen for a pregnancy to go right and so for me abortion shouldn't be a sensitive topic it should be more normalized we should be using the word um, because a lot of really uh, virulently anti-choice people use the word a lot and because they've sucked up a lot of oxygen in the room that there, there's more room for misinformation for lies for damaging narratives like you know, saying things like, you're a murderer if you have an abortion. Well, you don't know what happened to that woman's pregnancy. Something could have gone terribly wrong and now you're calling her a murderer on top of the trauma that she's potentially already going through. So, you know, the more conversations we have and the more stories that we hear from people who are willing to share, not everyone's willing to share and that's okay. Um, You know, people get a lot of threats, uh, uh, death threats and a lot of shaming and judgment for sharing their abortion stories. Um, but people who do share their stories, I think, is really going to allow people to hear from different perspectives and potentially bring down our walls of judgment and just you know bring some empathy and understanding to the conversation. So that's what I'm trying to do through document the documentary films that I'm working on, through the advocacy work that I do and um, with the organizations that I'm affiliated with.
0: Um, wow, you broke that down, you know, really clearly. <laughs> you know, it just sounds... You know, I'm just really interested in you, Asha, because, you know, you have come from a religious, Christian, evangelist background, and you've been part of the church and the conservative church. And, you know, it's not not too many people, uh, from what I understand, in those places end up opening their minds to other kinds of perspectives, you know. And um, I don't know, how did that come about, you know? um for you because you were you know you were hosting you were doing all this you know tv work yeah. and which has nothing to do with or i don't know understanding, it's very different from you know women's advocacy
2: yeah very different yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> right
2: well in my when i started out hosting my early 20s you know straight out of college right. pop culture like no, <laughs> and entertainment and music and it was great i mean it was a really great training ground for me i got to work in the industry i got to be on tv and I thought I was really cool
0: I and saw you. Like, sorry I saw your Nickelodeon by the way when
2: I was oh you did oh man that was great we filmed that in um in Orlando in Florida uh, when I first moved here that was like the first job that I got but um yeah it was a lot of fun I think that was a really great time for me um but then you know as I got toward my late 20s mm-hmm. um things you know I I changed a lot you know you grow and evolve as a person and also at that time I got married for the first time when I was oops, sorry I just hit my microphone um, I got married for the first time when I was 24 and that's very very common within conservative evangelical circles you know if you start dating someone there's a lot of pressure to get married because no sex before marriage and so there's a lot of really bad situations where people just end up getting married just because they want to have sex and not feel guilty and it's really really sad and there are a lot of um people who get into abusive relationships I was one of those people and I think you know four years on after getting married four years on I knew that I had to get out and so I left the marriage and I left the church um that person that I was married to my ex-husband worked at the church so it felt right to leave that church and I was here in Los Angeles too, which is considered very, you know, liberal, very forward right. But there are pockets in in there, anywhere you go where mm-hmm. you just never know what communities are there and, and you know people that who are hurting. And so it was a very large church, and there were a lot of people in similar situations to me. But thankfully, I had the support of my parents, who are also Christian, back in Australia, who were like, "This is a very toxic environment and relationship. Please, you have our support. Get just leave, get out." And wow. so That really gave me the courage to leave, That's a lot of people don't.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, I know people, I've heard of women who are being counseled. um, That's the word that they use in churches, counseled to stay in abusive relationships because God hates divorce and you should do the right thing. And it's so, so damaging. And I think those experiences really shaped me to become a person. um, I mean, I'm very strong and stubborn anyway, but that really shaped my advocacy for women a lot um and leaving the church i really wanted to learn about things like women's rights and the history of the of the women's suffrage movement and feminism from a perspective that wasn't so like feminism is evil evil these people are women are awful they're trying to destroy families and babies and, rah, rah, rah. and then once i actually started <laughs> learning from a different perspective i was like oh these are my people this is this is something that i can resonate with you know we're empowering each other to live our best lives, and it wasn't man-hating at all. Uh, a lot of the groups that I was supporting, you know, women in film and women in business and just different feminist networks here in Los Angeles, it really was about supporting each other and finding ways to break barriers where they needed to be broken and share our stories and and come together as a community. So that really resonated with me. And I think more so because in the church that I was in, although it was very large and very diverse, the culture was very... Uh, um, American, white, conservative, evangelical, which was really a shame because there were so many cultures there. The leadership was very white, very male. Um, and when I was, and people knew in the church knew that I was going through a separation. No one reached out to me. Not the women's pastor didn't reach out to me. And no one came alongside me to, to be like, hey, how can we support you? I had a few guys reach out to me be like, hey, you should stay with your ex because you're doing the wrong thing. I'm like, wow, this is really... It's really sad, I, you know, standing afar from it now, many years later, I can say that it's it's really such a shame when the church becomes the last place that people go to for support and, you know, they end up leaving because they don't get what they need there. And so that's why I'm really big on finding community, finding your tribe, finding your support system and being open-minded about how we can listen to other people. And so it's the same with the, you know, with abortion. There, there are many studies that show studies done by religious um, anti-abortion organizations that have found that the church is the last place that women go to when they're struggling with a, a, a vulnerable time in their life or their pregnancy because they know that they're going to get shame and judgment. Even though know, one in three women before the age of 45 will have an abortion. So everyone knows someone, everyone loves someone who has had an abortion, um, re- realistically. And so I really wanted to kind of open the... Open my mind to, you know, hearing different women's stories of their struggle and, and sharing mine too. I think that was, that was really part of it. It's like, well, if I want to share other people's vulnerabilities, I have to be vulnerable as well. And that can be hard. And, and sometimes I felt embarrassed or ashamed, but you know, ultimately it's enabled me to grow and connect with people that I'm meant to be connected with and, and do opportunities like this. So I, I'm very, at, I hesitate to say I'm thankful for everything I went through because I would never, I don't ever want to do it again. And I, I sometimes wish I didn't, but at the same time, it's gotten me where I am today. And, and, um, yeah, so I guess I'm just still learning and growing.
1: And how yeah. would you define your relationship with the church now? Like, is it, is it ended completely or are you still like, yeah. How how do you describe it?
2: Yeah. Um, I would consider myself a spiritual person. Um, I don't, I don't go to a church regularly like I used to or I I did for, um, almost 30 years of my life since I was born Mm. up until I left. It was, you know, Sunday morning church service, Friday night youth group service, Wednesday night Bible study. Like that, that's the thing with the evangelical church. Um, that there's, it's a, there's a huge emphasis on commitment and being involved and, you know, a lot of pressure to do more than just the, Sunday service kind of thing, you have to do go so regularly. So I don't do any of that anymore. However, I do, I am part of different communities and different support groups. Um, I've connected with a, a large group online called the Exvangelical Movement. And there's a lot of people like me who have left conservative traditions and they're really trying to find themselves and deconstruct. I think deconstruct, deconstructing their faith, you know, deconstructing anything that has been toxic or abusive or harmful can take years and years. And so there's still a lot, a lot of me that is still learning to undo certain ways of thinking about topics, about people, about relationships. Uh, but I, I think I still believe in God or a higher power. I just don't believe a lot of the very detailed day-to-day things that I was pressured to believe. Like God is in control of everything, but also you have free will. So now I'm like, <laughs> which one is it? You know, and we're never really taught to question those things, it's just like, this is what you're taught and this is the theology. And so for me, it really is about questioning things and knowing that if if God is real and God is all powerful and, you know, whether God is he, she or has no gender, then God is not going to be angry at my questions and who I am and where I am. You know, I think that's, I, I find myself as more of a spiritual wanderer and questioner and I'm okay with that now. Whereas before it was very much about, like you're talking about labels, Paul, you have to fit into a label. You have to fit into a box. You have to be defined in every way. So people know how to put you in a certain position. Whereas I'm, now I'm like, I'm still learning. I'm still reading things that are interesting. I know what I don't want to be involved in, but
1: mm-hmm.
2: Hey, um, you know, I'm open.
1: You know, it's interesting that uh, you were when you mentioned uh, how they say like God is in control, but you have free will. And this is also mentioned in Islam as well. And, I've had this discussion before with people in my life, and recently it, it dawned on me. Like I was watching, so I was watching this series called uh, "Dirt Gently." Um, so, you- Dirt Gently, a holistic detective agency. It's it's a it's a very yeah it's a it's a weird series, but it's it's pretty interesting to be honest. Yeah. Like the th- the themes behind it are very like when once you watch it, it's like okay, what's going on but then you pick up on it. But there's this thing, there's this one point that's mentioned is that fate and chance are not mutually exclusive mm. with, and and free will is included into it. For me, when I heard that I connected, I connected it with the discussions I've had about religion where they say, you know, there's destiny, but at the same time you have free will, like everything mm-hmm. is written, but like you also have a choice. And because we always deal with obsoletes that's the thing that's the mm-hmm. thing well obviously no. with label labels is one is like one part of it it's one category but mm-hmm. we're always dealing with obsolete so that it can be easier for us to understand we just like we want to say like it's either binaries like either yeah. this or that or it's not people don't like to see it, like whenever we tell people like something's on a spectrum or something is just like it's not just that; it's much more. It's connected to multiple fact multiple factors. I feel like it just confuses people, and like they don't understand what's going on. Can
2: be on. as well to someone exactly saying like, "Oh, it could be any number of things," and all of a sudden their whole view is threatened.
1: Yeah, because people are just used to at this point. They're like, someone has to tell them like this is the answer. That's it. Go mm-hmm. like that's enough, and people will be okay with that. While others will be like. Well, uh, like a smaller portion of the population will will start to look at it and be like, I think there's more than just that, you know, there's a bigger answer to just a simple conclusion brought about by one person.
2: Yeah, maybe there's, you know, there are people who are more curious and want to go on that journey and not feel like they have to define everything and others are happier just being in you know a place where they're told what to do and that's easy for them and, and that's fine too as long as it's not abusive or harmful in any way and they're not hurting other people you know I think it's just a matter of allowing people to live the lives that they want to live in freedom and safety and giving them the choice and yeah it, 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 it is interesting to hear different perspectives and you know it used to feel threatening for me like what if I don't have all the answers and you Know I sh- if I don't have the answers, how am I going to live? But now it's like, well, I'm here, I'm living, so <laughs> you deal with
0: it, you deal with it,
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. Um, you know, just to comment on what you were saying, and it's, um, you know, I love the journey you went through. You know, I'm sorry, you know, about the abuse that happened before, but thank you, everything happens for a reason, and um, you know, your growth and your curiosity, and um, you know, I think that's what makes us human the ability to think the way to be curious the ability to handle these nuanced concepts right <laughs> that's what separates yeah. us from animals right that we're able to yeah. do that and have these conversations about all these topics um so i'm curious to hear from from you Asha. have you have you had any like uh backlash you know that now that you're talking about all these topics um you know i'm sure there are haters and as you said there you know There are, there are people that are very like sensitive to death threats and things like that. So, um, yeah, I have,
2: I have had some backlash, um, not to the point of death threats, thankfully. Um, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: you know, when, when I've talked about abortion and there have been a couple of times where I've been interviewed on Fox news when they, I've only done it like once or twice where they want a panel of people. And I don't do those anymore because honestly, it's, those are just for ratings and it's very clickbaity, but they wanted someone who was pro-choice and. I went on and I shared my view. Um, One was with the Laura Ingraham show. I can't believe I went on that show. (laughs) Um, You know, she was talking about a a law in New York that passed a couple of years ago called the Reproductive Health Act, which basically said that if the federal law for legal abortion falls, which it looks like it will this June, Roe versus Wade, then then abortion is going to go to each of the states. So each of the states are now passing their own safeguard laws. They're called trigger laws. So it's either going to immediately put women in jail, um, or it's going to protect them and their choices and, you know, give them the care that they need. And New York is one of the states that passed a law that, uh, that essentially down to brass tacks, it took abortion out of the penal code from a uh, 1970s law and put it into the health and education code. So it just moved it so that it wouldn't be a punitive issue. It would mm-hmm. be something to do with health and safety and, you know, and so that, but the way that you know Fox News talk about these things, they make it very controversial. And oh my God, people are gonna have abortions on demand up until the ninth month. And so I went on there and I didn't really answer or respond to what they were saying. I basically just said, this is what the Lord does, and this is and I think I was, I, I didn't give them what they wanted, so they didn't invite me back. But <laughs> I, I hope that I at least, you know, people watching heard what I said and was like, oh, is that all it is? I thought it's, you know, like abortions on demand. And I didn't respond to any of that. I literally just said what the law does and Mm -hmm. that if we want to protect women and babies, we don't do that by putting them in jail. And so I could tell, and a friend of mine watching was like, oh yeah, I don't think Laura Ingram likes that you didn't take the bait. So I'm like, great, I'm not there for her. I'm (laughs) going to provide information. And so I did get a couple of people like, oh, you're just, you're a baby murderer and you're this and you're that. I'm just like, all right um but beyond that nothing really you know some backlash from people in my church who I used to be friends with you know very close friends with and then who shunned me when I decided to get a divorce and I was like whoa that already is a huge red flag you know you were Mm -hmm. one of my best friends and because I decided to leave an abusive situation you I'm not following the rules anymore and I'm not your friend and you know this uh, these few people would write to me about things that I was sharing about reproductive rights and all that stuff. And, and it used to bug me, but now I'm at the stage where I'm not trying to convert people's thinking. I'm trying to challenge them. I'm, I'm here to present facts as I discover them as, as, you know, needs to be shared. Um, and I, I'm really speaking to more pro-choice people because there's a lot of pro-choice people who are on the fence or they're not willing to speak up enough. And honestly, we're the majority and we do need to be more bold in speaking up and pushing back. So, that's who my audience is now. And uh, alongside that, I don't really get into debates about abortion because what are you debating? An opinion. And I don't have time for that. You know, I, I don't. Anyway, maybe other right. people do. And, you yeah. know, the people like the Ben Shapiros of this world, <laughs> you know, they, the Jordan, people like that. You know, them. I'm not hating on them, but they're <laughs> debating and yeah. creating a brand on being antagonistic. That's not my thing, you know. Mm-hmm. For me, a, a advocacy for abortion is about helping the people who need it the most, and supporting the organisations who are on the front lines, and sharing the information that is hopefully going to challenge people. Whether that's through film, whether that's through interviews, mm-hmm. through podcasts like this, or writing, you know, that's that's where I'm at. And it took me a long time to figure that out. So because I'm in that kind of space now, I don't get as much backlash. Whereas if I was, you know, doing the panel debates, it would be <laughs> but that's not my that's not my brand and honestly like you don't gain anything out of it other than followers and that's mm-hmm. not what I want what i, I want to see is laws that safeguard people's choices and freedoms to do what they know is right for their lives and so yeah it's um so the, the worst <laughs> and and there was one woman who wrote to me after i went on fox and she was like um, she saw my TEDx talk and she was just like I can't believe you're into murdering babies. let's just say the ridiculous the most ridiculous things and why are you even pro-choice and I'm just like well actually I'm not just pro-choice because I think even the pro-choice pro-life is too binary mm-hmm. um, I believe in reproductive justice which is more than just about abortion and birth control it's about how to raise your fa- the rights to raise your family in safety and with support and it's not just about abortion it's about infertility it's about miscarriage it's about um you know all these different motherhood fatherhood paternity leave um all all these different things that are intertwined um with the issue of reproductive rights so that confused her as well she's like what do you mean you're not pro-choice or pro-life what else is there i'm like exactly (laughs) so So that that was probably like the most interesting interaction i had from someone who was giving me backlash so yeah
0: so i you know it's interesting that you tie all those other things, all those other topics to the topic of abortion too, you know, the um, uh, maternity leave and paternity leave and yeah. having a safe family and all that jazz. And um, if you don't mind, Asha, I'm going to give you a little pushback here. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm
0: ready. Um, <laughs> no, it's just that, well, you have kids. Um, I would, you know, I'm a young man, but maybe one day I would like to have kids. I think they're pretty cool. Um, and, you know, an abortion is something you do if you don't want kids, right? I'm sure for you, you know, the first thing you tell the police about for your kids, and I'm sure you really love your kids. So if you're someone who love, you know, you love your kids so much and you love kids, um, why would you, you know, why are you an advocacy of, you know, abortion?
2: Yeah, that's a great, no, that's a great question. Right. I, don't, I don't think that's pushback at all. I think this is a, uh, an important question. A lot of pro-choice people have children, and they want to have children. And I think it 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 really reiterates that it's not about either or; it's about the full spectrum. Like life is a spectrum. So many things happen to us, and you know, maybe one day we're down the road when you when you have kids, you'll be in a situation where you'll understand that oh, these are very um, private decisions that you want to make with your partner, and you know, making for your family. And they're really important decisions to make as well. And so the whole idea of abortion isn't by itself in its own little silo over here. It fits into the whole spectrum of how we think about reproductive justice, which was a framework coined by black women leaders in the early nineties, because they felt that the pro-choice movement in America was not catering to the intersectionality of race, of um, class of financial status of all those other things that make you know that come into reproductive issues. And so they they came up with this idea that reproductive justice is you should have that freedom of choice. People want to have families, they want to have children, but they also want to have the right not to have that and and have and be able to do that in safety and not be shamed for choosing not to have children or to be on birth control or to not get married. And you know, a lot of gender is a lot there's a lot of that tied into it. You know, there's a lot of pressure on women to be a certain way, like have children, but don't have too many children. Or if you, <laughs> um, be ambitious, but not too ambitious. Don't be a CEO, um, but also don't have a low paying job and don't go on welfare, um, you cheat, you know. Like, <laughs> there, there's so many contradictions that happen. Yes. And that's why you can't just think of um, abortion in its own little thing. It is indelibly connected to your financial status your physical health status who's your support community who's your uh, political representative in community and what what laws are they passing um do you have access to clean drinking water and there are many places in america and around the world where um you know people don't have that you know imagine someone living in a refugee camp who's pregnant who doesn't have access to a doctor um at 24 7 whenever they want you know that's a really difficult situation and so there are so many things that factor into reproductive justice and reproductive rights that it can't just be about one issue. Um, it has to be about the full spectrum of life. And that I'm in development on a documentary series with a British production company, and right now the working title is Life at All Costs. And it really, the underlying thesis really is whose life do we value and at what cost? You know, what cost are we willing to pay To make sure someone is able to live, does it depend on their skin colour? Does it depend on their bank account, on their postcode or zip code? Or, you know, are we only giving certain people the amount of rights to, or does it depend on your religious faith, you know, depending on which country you're in? So we're really trying to look at how global abortion laws and reproductive rights um, impact everyday women. You know, in El Salvador, women have been putting in jail for up to 30 years for having stillbirths and miscarriages because you can't tell the difference between a stillbirth and a, a, a miscarriage and an abortion in, in at certain early stages of the pregnancy. So doctors are turning these women into the authorities so that they don't get in, in trouble. So there are women in jail that have been, some have been there for 13, 17 years, and there are lawyers in America working to, um, and with Amnesty and an International, working to get them out of jail. Um, and there, there are women in Poland who right now have, and Ukraine, who are trying to get to the UK to get safe and legal abortions because in their country, there are the countries in Eastern Europe are passing these really, really draconian laws. But there are these women in these perilous medical situation. Uh, recently, a woman died because she wasn't able to get out of her country and get the care that she needed. So the, these are the things that are happening. And so for me as a mother, it makes sense for me to be like, well, I want people to have, I'm ve- I recognize my privilege and I'm so blessed to be in southern california where i had great access to healthcare i want everyone to be able to have that and make that decision i was able to make the decision with my husband like hey are we ready to have kids let's look at our finances yeah we're ready let's try having kids like everyone should be able to have you know make that decision when the right the time is right for them and if not even if they're in a situation where okay this was unexpected but we still want to be supported and make the right decisions and know that we're not going to be shamed or judged or thrown into jail or potentially die because of the situation that we're in. So for me, being a mother really is like the cherry on the top or the capstone to why I'm I'm pro-choice. Like it makes more sense to me now than previously, I guess. That was a very long winded (laughs) answer.
0: But you went—I mean, you went, yeah, pretty deep. I will say on, you know, I I didn't know about the stuff in South Dakota or Poland. I mean, you know, it makes sense that you know there are communities that are way, way more um, uh, pro-life, but then they kill people (laughs) and they'll put them in jail. They advocate,
2: you know, and and they—they advocate for cutting school lunches and Medicaid and healthcare, and it's—it's like you if you're only looking at abortion and forgetting all the other things and you're ignoring women who are put in immigration detention centers who are pregnant women who are miscarrying because they're not being given medical attention how pro-life are you you know it's like these are challenging questions that we need to think about um not just for anti-abortion people but all people like if we say that we want to protect life and value it well we've got to look at it all and i know that not everyone can advocate for every issue but it's, it's just about thinking wider and understanding not everything happens in a vacuum or in a binary there are so many other factors linked to this that we need to be curious and open-minded about and be willing to to hear about as well
0: um oh wow um is it <laughs> i want to know from from you know so now you're you know doing all this advocacy work i mean it seems like you've learned a lot and um you know you're sharing the knowledge of all you all we've learned. Um, do you feel like um, I don't know? What's your like? Uh, what are you most passionate about? Is it is it this topic? Is it the producing work you do, the hosting work you do? I mean, you're involved in. You know, this is just one of the things that you're involved in the blog, and, um, you know, book you wrote, and all that jazz. So, what is for you the thing that um, gives you that you're most passionate about? I guess today.
2: Yeah. I mean, the thing that I'm most passionate about is being a storyteller, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and that covers a range of different topics. Um, I'm very passionate about women's advocacy, women's rights, reproductive rights, and that advocacy right now. And I think I I will for a long time, but ultimately storytelling and, and sharing people's stories. Um, one of my favorite things to do is binge watch TV. And I watch a lot of, I do watch documentaries, but I watch a lot of, um, uh, narrative shows and I'm just really intrigued by story you know how do you write a character how do, How does the story come together why why do people get hooked into a show and and you know and it's not just narrative shows but how do you do that with a documentary how do you do that with a podcast how do you do that with a written piece and I think storytelling really has the power to change the world change the world film ha- and documentaries have the power to change the world um you know one of the recent um award winning documentaries flee i don't know if any of you've seen that documentary it's flee
0: what a great film yeah
2: great film and mm-hmm. you know just the power of that animation and the story real life story of someone who's a refugee who's escaping mm-hmm. a conflict situation and just the ability for that film and that singular story to break through all that political noise that's out there on the on the tv and on the internet and to just sit and be and come face to face with someone's story you don't get to debate it. Why you, you 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 know? There's no debating. There's no being pushing back on it. It's just being immersed and seeing the nuance and the complexity of someone who's a refugee who's fleeing their home country for safety and and understanding that ultimately they're they're a human being and they want to live in safety and they want to be um, loved and they want to know that their life is worthy. And I think those are universal things. And so through storytelling, I think we can. I can through my work, hopefully share those values. You know, one of the things I like to tell myself often is I want to feel like I'm worthy, I, that I'm loved and that my life matters. Um, and I think those are universal things. We all want to be connected to people and mm-hmm. feel like we are loved and, and that we are worth being on this planet. And so when we take any of those out of the equation, that's when we start to see bad things happen, I think, um, so yeah, so for me it, it all comes down to storytelling. How do I tell the story of this issue or this woman or you know, this this instance that happened?
1: Oh. Um uh, I have a question that's a bit like I don't know, it's going to be a bit <laughs> weird JV, <or> <laughs> <laughs> but like what what, <laughs> what kind of advice would you give to women where to pr- to pr- efficiently value themselves in their lives?
2: Oh, that's a loaded question, too. That's not weird at all. I think that's a really great question, but very, very heavy because I don't know if I have all the advice. I think yeah. for women to value themselves and, but for, for anyone really, but specifically because I, that's the audience that I like to speak to is really look within. I think a lot of us are taught to find our value being attached to a certain person or, you know, specifically attached to a man in a marriage or, a job or to look a certain way. Um, But honestly, our worth comes from within. For some people, that's religion. For some people, that's writing. For some people, that's connecting with nature and feeling fulfilled, you know, but it all has to start from within because once we know who we are within and once I started going on that journey, you know, stripping away the harmful religious beliefs that I've been brought up in and getting out of an abusive marriage, once I started figuring out who am I and what do I want and what what kind of things do I want to share with the world and how do I want to show up um, in the world every day and, and be mm-hmm. my best self? Once I figured out who I was, I was, I was less competitive. I felt less um, doubt, self-doubt. I was channeling my ambitions in the right way instead of trying to do all these things and be everything to everyone and feeling like I had to do that over here and that over there. It's like I knew my path, I knew my lane um and really tapping into my intuition which was another thing that was kind of forbidden in my religion you know knowing thyself rather than putting all my energy and focus on god or jesus in this case um so i think that really empowered me and while you know being interested in other things is not wrong at all i think the worth and the knowing really has to come from within first so yeah, that's that's the best advice that I could give. And also surround yourself with supportive people. I mean, there's a saying that you are the sum of the closest five people around you. So who are the people that you relate to the most? Are they toxic? Are they harmful? Are they beautiful? Are they enriching your life? You know, those are the people you want to be around. And because and, that's how you shape yourself. It's like raising a child. My husband and I are the closest things to my two children. So they're being shaped by us and so that's a that can be a bad thing or it could be a good thing in certain situations so it's really about who you surround yourself with and who you know who you are inside as well
1: you know you said you said the uh, something important is like finding out who you are as a person yeah. and we asked you in the beginning like who are you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but i think now after the the, the whole episode and the discussions we've had. I feel like you have a different answer if we if we ask you that question again.
2: Uh, yeah, maybe. I love that. Full circle. At the, at full end circle.
1: End. <laughs> towards, yeah, towards that. So I think the final question would from me would be, who are you? Uh, uh,
2: I knew you were going to ask that. Yeah, you know, I, it is interesting how I rattled off all these things that I've done and who I am and, you know, my what's on my resume. But who I am is... I'm a complex, flawed, very complicated person at times. I'm someone who um, loves to laugh. I'm someone who loves a good story. I love good food. Um, I love being organized. <laughs> um, and I love meeting the energy of meeting new people, but I also like being by myself and reading a book. So, yeah, I guess that's a very different description of who I am based on who I said at the beginning. And I like that you, <laughs> I like that you asked that.
0: Wow, we really went full circle. This is, this is a pretty deep podcast, I'll say. I know,
1: it's we, we try, we try our best. I mean, that's, that's what we're here for. All right.
2: Well, um, yeah, I'm very thankful. I think this was a great discussion. I, I really enjoyed it.
0: Hey, and um, I know we're running out of time here, so I have one more question I want to ask you. This one's a little, um, um, so I want to know how, how do you reach out to people, right? Because we're podcasters and you interview a lot of people, you've interviewed a lot of people, many cool people. And so um, how uh, do you connect with all these people you you know, you mean, and um, ask them to get to talk to you, meet with you? It's a little selfish yeah, question. Yeah, it
2: definitely changed a lot because of COVID, obviously. I mean, mm-hmm. but it's increased the amount of time I spend online, um, whether it's people on Instagram. Instagram or Twitter I use the most just for following people and reading articles and things like that. But I find a lot of interesting people um, from people that I follow as well um yeah just reading articles um through the network of people that i'm friends with i get recommendations for different organizations or different films or different shows that i should watch I, i really rely on you know the people that i follow and people that i'm friends with to for good recommendations um and, yeah, I, I love to read. I, I'm a huge, huge reader, as you can tell by this bookshelf in yes. um, Actually, it's a very small bookshelf, to be honest. That's not the, that's not the most badass bookshelf. <laughs> but, um, yeah, when I, when I have the time, I love to read. And for me, that's a way to get to know people and to learn about different issues and topics. But, yeah, I think is I mean, my research is, is kind of like it's all over the place, but a lot of it is done online and, and through reading articles and books.
0: All right. Perfect. Well, what a great, uh, what a great podcast we had today. And uh, let's sign up this podcast. All right. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Asha. What a great podcast. <laughs> <It's good> to, <laughs> it's a pleasure to meet you. You're on for the show, the most international variety podcast. I'd to see you again. This is how we sign out. Salute to the camera and adios, amigos. <laughs>